From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. What do you imagine when you think of the Cooper River? Industry runoffs like chemicals and sewage? Well, we spoke with a group of brave and inspiring young people who discovered that beyond the overgrowth and debris, the waterway has changed. It was the subject of a recent documentary which chronicles the 17-mile journey as the group kayaked, bushwhacked, and hiked their way to discover the natural beauty at their back door. I didn't expect myself to carry a kayak over a viewer dam. I didn't expect myself to be in the water with mud up to my waist or higher, but I just did it. Charity Howard finds out how a team of peer specialists at a Philly nonprofit tackles behavioral health needs for the underserved youth throughout the city. So just reassurance and letting them know like you have a purpose here. That's all coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. The film Search for the Cooper, a river hidden in plain view by Dave Harp and Sandy Cannon Brown, premiered at the 2022 Chesapeake Film Festival in Maryland. It tells the story of four teenagers who were challenged to find the source of the Cooper River, which runs through Camden County, New Jersey. They kayaked, they hiked, they bushwhacked for six days and 17 miles. I have nothing but respect and admiration for this entire crew. Here to tell us more about it is Camden County Parks Director Maggie McCann and Student Explorers Bella Morton, Jermaine Brown, Andrew Coleman, and Jacel Santos. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. All right, this is very exciting. I did watch the film, and I was just mesmerized by what you guys were able to do you set out to find the source of the Cooper River. I will give it away. You did find the source, and we'll talk about how you came upon that toward the end. But let's first talk about the spark behind the idea to find the source of the Cooper River. Perhaps, Maggie, you can uh, get into that and let us know about that. Sure. Well, Camden County is very lucky to work with some amazing partners, uh, nonprofit partners and other folks that brought this idea to us. So a group by the name of Upstream Alliance and their president, Don Ball, said, hey, I'm thinking about us doing this expedition where we go the entire length of the Cooper River and really try and discover where it starts. Uh, he said, are you interested in being a part of this? And I said, that sounds kind of crazy, <laughs> but it also sounds a lot of fun and like an adventure. And I'm usually up for an adventure. So I said, let's do it. And, you know, I think what really brought it to life was bringing the next generation of leaders with us on the trip. Now, how did you come to find the next generation of leaders, these student explorers? How did they become involved in this? Yeah, so part of it was the school Urban Promise was one of the places where we went and really just kind of scouted for students that were interested and kind of self-selected themselves Um, We also went to uh, some other schools in Camden City. And then, again, some of our partners brought us Andrew as well, who lives in Haddonfield. So we just sought out some students that were saying, hey, like, this sounds like a cool experience to us and we want to be a part of it. That's great. That's great. Well, let's talk to the student explorers because you guys did the bulk of the work and you actually did what you set out to do. So let's start out with talking with um, Bella Morton. Bella, tell me about your experience. Just give me your overall take, everybody, about your experience along the Cooper River, if you could. Well, for the first 
maybe two or three days, we were kind of just getting to know each other. So mm-hmm. I'd say maybe the first day when we met up, it was kind of awkward. But over the course of the expedition, everyone got really comfortable with each other, actually pretty quick. Just going through all the different trials of the Cooper River, like at a certain point, we were going over beaver dams mm. and just dealing with the heat itself was difficult. But I feel like um, going through those sort of trials together really just brought us even closer. Andrew, what was your take of the trip? I think it was a really good experience for all of us to do. It really taught us something about who we were. And it was just something that very few people get to do. And I think we're all immensely grateful we did get to do. Yeah. And it really taught us about something that's a part of our community, yet extremely undervalued. Yeah. Jermaine? Well, uh, it was an experience because this river runs through like our backyard. Mm-hmm. And I never thought that it was so long and so like diverse for different types of landmass, like depth. And I just was amazed the whole time. And yes, the heat and some, one day was rain. Mm. All that was challenges, but it definitely brought us together. And me falling brought us together, too, because they all laughed at me. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that. <laughs> JSL, is this a trip that you think you would take again? Would you go on an exploration like this again? Yes. Yeah? Do it again, yes. Did you find it challenging? The most challenging part was probably day three or day four when we were carrying our kayaks over beaver dams and Mm. we had to wear our waders and it was about like 95 degrees and it was really hot. Wow. Okay. See, everyone talked about the heat. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is something Mm -hmm. that I just want to say I admire the fact that you guys did this because there's no way (laughs) I would do it. I'm wondering how many bottles of like insect repellent you guys went through. It just looked like some of the areas along the river seemed a little murky. Uh, but you guys, like I said, you were hot. You kayaking, uh, bushwhacking. That machete was pretty big. How did you learn how to bushwhack? And I saw you doing most of the bushwhacking, uh, Jermaine. Who elected you the bushwhacker of the trip? <laughs> uh, Well, I'm not sure. But I learned how to bushwhack right then and there. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure if I did a good job, but I did a good enough job for us to get through it. So, yeah, yeah, you yeah. did. Everything was fine. How did you guys go about preparing for the trip? Well, what goes into preparing for something like this, hiking for 17 miles over six days? Every morning, we woke up at around 7 a.m., and we would have this meeting in the morning after we ate breakfast, and we'd talk about what we'd be doing that day mm-hmm. and how long it would take and the items we bring. So there would be this little table under this huge tent where we have these meetings, and we'd prep for lunch and pack other snacks in the little bags we have. And then Don would go over the criteria and stuff like that. Who's Don? Um, the man in charge. One of the men. <laughs> oh, okay, the man in charge. Okay, got it. All right, Andrew, do you think that you guys were properly prepared? Well, it was something you could never really expect going into it. It's something none of us were really fully prepared for, but it's something we all managed. We didn't expect to see what we saw, yeah. but that was really what made it such an amazing experience, something hidden away right in our backyards. Yeah. Well, the man in charge wasn't even really prepared because we had no <laughs> idea what we were going into. Wow. Um, some days we'll ask him, well, where are we going? He'll say, no idea, but we're just going to keep on pushing. <laughs> something like this um, involves trust amongst each other because you're going into an area you're not familiar with. It literally is unfamiliar terrain. 
Um, and this is probably something that, you, you know, you had to develop a camaraderie and, and, and trust. What did you learn about yourselves on this trip? JCL, did you learn anything about yourself, perhaps the fact that you were able to do something like this? I feel like me getting out of my comfort zone, mm. doing certain things that I didn't do previously before. Like, I didn't expect myself to carry a kayak over Beaver Dam. Wow. I didn't expect myself to be in the water up to, like, with mud up to my waist or higher. Like, I didn't expect certain stuff like that, but I just did it. Wow, wow. And Jermaine, is this something that you've ever done anything like this before? Not really. I've I've been on trips, but nothing in this nature. See, people look at New Jersey as like the most diverse state. Mm. So like people say, oh, well, they're so diverse. It must be so city. They don't do things like this, in which some people don't. But mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to be one of those people who was able to experience this. And yeah. I never thought that we would have sponge and, again, mud to go to like our hips and these like barbed wire type plants that come and cut you up. And it, it, wow. was, it was interesting, but I was just mind blown the whole time. Wow. Wow. Andrew, what did you learn about yourself and the group? Well, I think I learned how to really try to be part of a team that I came across and was invited into. I learned just how to meet new people better and how to just be their friend and be able to work with them and be able to experience something like that with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Maggie, was it, interesting to kind of watch the student explorers come together and work together to get this common goal completed. You mentioned you have to have trust. And we sort of, as Bella had talked about, you know, we didn't really know each other at the beginning of this. So we, we kind of got thrown together. Um, and so trust had to be built really quickly. And I think we did a really good job of that. And partly because we had to, because of the, the circumstances. Yeah. So I saw four people start this trip with putting their trust in us because they didn't know what to expect exactly. I mean, we kind of talked about here's what's going to happen or here's what we think is going to happen. But we also didn't know that it was going to rain and be below 70 on the second day of the trip, which if you're out in that for a long enough time that you start to get cold. And so just even that part. So there were a lot of points where I thought, oh, man, like, are these kids going to say, let's get out of here. Like, we don't want to do this anymore. But each time that they came up to a challenge, uh, they conquered it and then kept going. And um, that, for me, was part of the excitement of what we experienced. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking, wondering if anyone on the trip ever said to themselves, whose idea was this? Why are we out here? I think we said that out loud, too. <laughs> um, but nobody yeah. wanted to quit. No. Yeah. That's great. Let's talk about the Cooper River itself. What are some of the surprising things you learned about the Cooper River uh, during this excursion? It's a really long river. I didn't think it was that mm -hmm. long. 17 miles is pretty long, especially kayaking and on foot. <laughs> right. So um, I didn't know that the water gets so like narrow. I didn't know that the water, I guess, had all these tributaries that was going on to it. Um, I didn't know that it has so much diversity as far as animals and again landmass one moment we were in it and it was like up to our heads pretty much that you couldn't really walk in it you just had to get on a um, kayak and then the next moment it's like to your ankles <laughs> and then the ground underneath was sometimes sand sometimes mud sometimes it's like hard I guess like a mixture between rock and 
I don't know. We was, hit some yeah. iron deposits yeah, it was like while some, we were going along, which was, a, was really interesting. A lot of iron deposits. It hmm. was it was different. See, but I don't know if I'd know what an iron deposit was if I saw it or came across mm. it. Yes, yeah, pretty much <laughs> like rust. And for you, Andrew, what was the some of the surprising things you learned about the Cooper River? It was surprising to see what was so close to so many people. One of the things Don said was that it's within a few miles of a million people. Mm. There, it's such an amazing place, yet it's so hidden and so few people that live near it know about it. It's amazing to see what it has in it and what's around it. Like the others have said, the biodiversity of it is just amazing. Those animals that you never think there were see. We saw bald eagles, foxes, beavers, all up and down the river. And I live just a few blocks from it, and I've never seen one of those before. Wow, that's great. What about for you? I think what was also just super surprising were some of the landmarks we saw mm-hmm. along the way. Um, I forget what day it was, but we saw like mills mm-hmm. along the river when the river got really narrow. And you could tell that they had been there for a while because they were like huge. They were brick. Mm-hmm. They were Some of them were broken down just into pieces. But it just says a lot about how there's history with this river. And also what Andrew said about the animals. Um, I didn't think that there were foxes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the area I lived in. And the Cooper River is like actually down the street from my house. And yeah, we also saw the bald eagles, which I also didn't know were in the area, which was pretty cool to see. Maggie, tell us a little bit more about the Cooper River as far as the towns that it runs through, where it starts and where it ends. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but okay, <laughs> uh, the Cooper River itself starts in Gibbsboro, or at least the south branch of the Cooper River uh, starts in Gibbsboro, Camden County, and flows through Lindenwald, Lawnside. I'm going to miss some towns here. Okay. Mm-hmm. It eventually ends up in Cherry Hill. It flows through Pensacon. Uh, Collingswood, Haddon Township, yeah. all sorts of places. And then you get to a place um, in Pensacon Township where there's a dam called the Keene Avenue Dam. And if you've ever been to Cooper River Park, that's what makes the lake portion of the river. And so then after that, you get into the tidal Cooper River, which is in Pensacon and Camden, uh, and then flows out into the Delaware River. When Jermaine was talking about it getting narrower and narrower is that We talk about watersheds. You guys learn about watersheds in school. But experiencing what a watershed actually is and what it looks like, I think, takes it to a new level. And it gives you this understanding that you might not have if you don't go through that journey. Yeah. You guys would agree the same thing. Like, I'm interested in learning what you guys think the perception of the Cooper River is without having done what you guys have done. Ew, that's nasty. <laughs> right. Um, don't swim in that. Don't eat the fish that come out of it. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oh, it's nothing but just a, a river. I mean, nobody really puts the respect on Cooper River like as they should. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think you would want to take care of the water that's kind of in your backyard, but a lot of people don't. And um, I do think that this documentary also helped spread the word or help expand people's knowledge on the things that they can do to help keep the river clean or um, stop using different lawn fertilizers, stop dumping illegal trash or maybe upgrading to electric cars or something like that to help um, get rid of like the, the road uh, runoff stuff that's on like oil and gas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all these different things that flows into the Cooper River that um, could be stopped if people put their foot down and help take care of it. Yeah, yeah. Did you see a lot of pollution in the river, Andrew? Yeah, there was a 
okay. fair bit of pollution all the way up almost. The source was pure, but everywhere further down there, you could see clear human influence. There was plastic trash, oil spills, and it's mostly from road runoff as many of our local roadways, uh, all the, the storm gutters run directly into the Cooper River. Mm. Um, Bella, do you have more respect for the Cooper River now than before? You knew it was right in your backyard, but you actually experienced it. This isn't the first time I've been out on the Cooper River. Okay. So it was also nice that along the trip, we did come across people who um, still had a lot of respect for the river because okay. they grew up with that river. And the perception on it now, the bad view that people take on the river, is really because of that one moment in its history where construction mm-hmm. and certain things were being built and they were just designed to pour anything into the water where it was once a beautiful river. Then it got to that point where it was all mucky and everything was dying. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's trying to get back to that point where it was once a beautiful river, but it's obviously going to take a while. What are some of the things you saw that you never saw before? Clear water. Clear water. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. So you were hiking for six days, 17 miles. Did you camp out as well? Where did you guys sleep? Well, we slept in the backyard of the Parks Department on the Cooper River. They had a nice garden space where we pitched all of our tents and went back to every night to sleep. Oh, okay. What was that like, Bella? Mm, rough. Um, they gave us a little mat to put our sleeping bag on. I kept falling off of it in the middle of the night. It wasn't Aww. very secure. And as soon as the sun went down, it was just... That insect noise going off for hours and hours, and it was actually kind of difficult to sleep in. Yeah, uh, okay. That would be a no for me. (laughs) (laughs) How was it camping out, Jermaine? Dark, noisy, and scary. Uh, But, I mean, every time you went back, you kind of got used to it, and then you hear like maybe a coyote or a fox or somebody, but there I go again, and then you went right back to sleep. (laughs) So... Got it. Yeah. All right. J-Cell, this sounds pretty scary, but you probably weren't scared, right? Nah, I really wasn't. Honestly, the more days that went by, me and Jermaine would spend the night and laugh at any little thing. Well, the laughter certainly helps. Yeah. I'm wondering what the most difficult portion of the journey uh, for you all was. I'll, I'll just ask all of you, uh, and I'll start with Jermaine. What was the most challenging? Um, Probably the beaver dams, because one part, um, so one side of the beaver dam, the water was probably below your knees. And then once you hop over to Beaver Dam, the water came up to about your chest. So it was a little like scary because each Beaver Dam has something new or something different about it. One of them was like a double Beaver Dam where like you go over one part, you go, you drop down and all of a sudden there's like there's another Beaver Dam that's kind of on the opposite side of it that you have to hop over to. Mm. And then the marshlands or like the wetland area where the sponge was just so spongy <laughs> and, and wet and just nasty but oh. i mean you had to kind of go tree hopping because where the trees were the roots will keep you above the marshy wet mud area and then sometimes there were no trees to help you go through that so you had to just go right through it and hopefully you make it out but um <laughs> the problem with that was that wherever there was a tree there was also the cat briar which was yes. the the thorns right so like you would like hop to a tree but then you would immediately have 
thorns uh, all, all over you. Yeah, it was definitely a fun part. Okay. <laughs> I definitely got cut up everywhere. Wow. From those thorn bushy thingies. Thorn bushy thingies. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'll make sure I stay away from those. <laughs> all right. What about you, Andrew? What was challenging? It was definitely forcing our way through that marshland. It was knee-deep mud at parts. And meanwhile, your upper body was being assaulted by those thorn bushes. Oh, my. You just had to keep forcing your way through, and we all did, but it was quite difficult. Wow. Bella, those thorn bushes sound like, whew, <laughs> sound like something I don't want to come, come across. Um, yeah, definitely those thorn bushes. Um, I wore shorts that day, so my legs got cut up pretty badly. Um, I still have a scar on my leg from those. And um, kayaking through the rain, that was one of my worst days um. from the trip, and definitely the most difficult for me because I tried to dress for the weather, I wore, I guess, skin tight clothes, but yeah. I also had some like a soft jacket on me. So all the rain just absorbed in it. Mm-hmm. And that was the one day I had to opt out because I just couldn't go <laughs> further. You made it most of the way. JCL, what was the most challenging part of the journey? Like I said, the weather and the beaver dams. It tired me out. And then we still had about like probably two hours more to go. And I didn't want to go no more sometimes. I, I wanted to go back, probably eat, relax, do it again the next day. But I kept going. So You guys should be proud of yourselves. Let's talk about the big finish because you did find the source of the Cooper River. Who wants to talk about it? When you came upon the source, what's the first thing that you noticed? That it was so much more clear than we expected. It was so much more pure. You could see straight to the bottom of the pond located near the spring. And you could oh. see the fish and their nesting grounds. It was clear blue water, something I, none of us had ever seen before in New Jersey. Wow. I thought we were in the Bahamas. I saw the blue <laughs> oh, water. Wow. I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah, you could see the fish swimming and making like their nest. I think they were about to um, lay eggs or whatever. And then the second thing I thought of was like, hallelujah, we made it to the end. But, you know, it almost seems, uh, Maggie, as though that finish line, that beautiful clear water, like it was a reward. Absolutely. And I felt a sense of accomplishment. We set this goal. We set this place that, you know, we didn't know where this place was, but we said we're going to find it. um, And we did. And so there was like the relief and the excitement that came from that. And, you know, if it had just been that spring, guys, without the pond next to it, I feel like it might have been a little anticlimactic. And you drank the water. Talk about that. Did, was anyone hesitant? I know you had like a filtration system right then and there where you can put the water in and you drank it. But I want to hear from everybody what you felt about drinking the water and how it tasted. Bella, you can start. Everyone's lying to you. It was disgusting. <laughs> it, it wasn't good. <laughs> I don't even think it had a taste. It just had like a gassy feeling to it. Okay. Like, you said it, it like, tasted like farts. That's what you yes, said. Yes, it did. <laughs> And then, like this, <laughs> we the, did not put that on the on the movie, but I that was my favorite part. And I always oh think of it gosh. when I watch that part and Bella's face because immediately after it, it had a little bit of sulfur in it. Anytime you drink water from a source that isn't like treated, a filtered, yeah, yeah. treated water, mm-hmm. it has different tastes. What do you think about that, Andrew? I drank my fair share of stream water in my life, but um, <laughs> it tasted a little extra. <laughs> <laughs> a little extra stank to it. Extra stank. <laughs> okay, okay. I like that description. Jermaine? You ever smell rotten eggs? Oh, my. Well, that's how it tastes. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> All right, J-Cell, you going to go back and drink some it, more of that? No, but it tasted <laughs> like if you grabbed a little bit of dirt and mixed it up together. Earthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
with a little sulfur. Yeah. All right, but it's still, but still, but we're we're here. It, but we, here. We were all good, and it's beautiful. Yeah, it was. And you found the source. Did you want to get into that source, or are people going to have to go ahead and check out the film to find out? Yeah, I mean, they should definitely check out the okay. film. We're going to leave that uh, so people can go ahead and check out the film. Actually, where can people check the film out? So if you go to our partner's website, upstreamalliance.org, you'll find the link uh, to check out the movie. Awesome. Well, you all should pat yourselves on the back for completing this. I know this is the year anniversary of this trip, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's been a year. And um, is this something that you all would do again? Yes, I'll Absolutely. do it again. I'll definitely 100%. do it again. Wow. Oh, yeah. Just more prepared. Well, yeah. And you bring your own water this time. You bring my own water <laughs> and something thick to not get cut by them barbed wire thingy things. All right. No more barbed wire thingy things. Well, this is great. The name of the film is called Search for the Cooper, A River Hidden in Plain View. And uh, we just have to thank Maggie McCann, who's Camden County Director of Parks, along with all the student explorers, Bella Morton, Jermaine Brown, Andrew Coleman, Jacel Santos. Thank you so much for joining us today on Bridging Philly. And... I think it's great. You should all be really proud of what you accomplished. Thanks so much for calling. Thank you, man. Thank you. The scars will fade. We will never forget that. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. They're dedicated to addressing the behavioral health needs for youth in Philadelphia. Let's learn more with Shara in the City. Intercultural Family Services, or IFS, is a Philadelphia-based nonprofit that was recently appointed a new chief executive officer, Javier Alvarado, to really tackle behavioral health needs for youth throughout the city. And much of it is for Philadelphia's most underserved communities. Now, Alvarado has over 30 years of social work and behavioral health experience and about 25 years of leadership experience. And he did what many don't do. He gave his staff and peer counselors their flowers by giving them a greater voice within the organization. So I sat down with Alvarado and his entire team of peer specialists. And this is how they told me they work best together. Imani Newton and Bria Young, certified specialists, say the job isn't exactly what it sounds like. It goes deeper than that. I would describe that as having a close one-on-one relationship with our clients as peers and not as um, kind of like clinician client based. So you want to get away from the idea of white rooms, white coats. You want to think more of an individual basis, maybe holistic. How do you serve best? I think that just being a certified peer specialist is important um, because people usually relate to people that look like them, talk like them, walk like them, and been through the same experiences as them. So with our certified peer specialists here, they all have lived experience and they can relate to people in uh, Philadelphia communities. And Ibrahim Jallo, also a certified peer specialist, says he brings a lot of himself to the job. Basically, you know, uh, being a peer specialist, it's all about, you know, the participant that you are working with. You know, it's all about helping them, you know. Uh, it's so unfortunate sometimes, you know, as human beings, we find ourselves into some circumstances in life that we don't want to be in. You know, we put our hope and trust in special people, you know, to help us come out of the difficult 
issues we find ourselves in. And that's when we met Ibrahim Silla, Reginald Mann, Taryn, and Essence Gordon, all certified peer specialists, who all agree that they bring their personal experiences into play, and that makes all the difference. So let's talk about the struggle. All right, so you're talking about we all meet at our struggles, right? And this is kind of how you guys speak to not only the person as an individual, but how you kind of mirror back to yourself. How is this healing you as well, or does it? I would say personally, it's just another level of collaboration. Uh, It's a form of self-healing in a sense that you learn a lot about yourself through other people. So just collaborating with kids, Coworkers, I think you learn a lot about yourself just looking at the person sitting across from you. How do you learn best about who you are and what you can do? For me personally, I would say just through like shared experiences, um, just learning everybody's story. I've learned a lot from these guys, so I think I'll learn a lot from the kids that we mentor as well. Collaboration. All right, so let's do that. Collaboration. What does that mean to you and how does that play out? Being able to be adapted to them and understand where they come from, meeting them and their challenges based on my life experiences. And um, just listening to them, giving them my experiences, going from one spot to another spot in life and challenges going to come, but you must stay strong and try to understand that someone's there to help you. But you can use that to balance, right? Yeah. So let's talk about now balance. And if you would state your first name for me again. Uh, my name is Taryn. All right. Balance. What does balance mean to you in this work that you do? Balance to me probably would most importantly mean as far as with the kids finding, I would say, the balance from what they're probably going through as far as struggles every day, the violence that they're probably dealing with, and then just trying to find the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. So it's about defining, right, your perception of things. So if we can now give the kids an opportunity to identify what it is that they're looking at, but they have to also know who they are. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with identity and then being able to strengthen, lift these kids up, especially when they're looking around themselves? And maybe they have the inclination to kind of just identify what's easiest right in front of them. How do you tell them to pull back and look inward? Sometimes you have to take a breather and realize that you're only one person, you know, and your circumstances and that does not define who you are. And that you can only do but so much. So if you just reassure them sometimes and let them know, like, you're doing good, it could be worse. Like, be proud of yourself. That speaks a lot to people because sometimes they need to hear that. So just reassurance and letting them know, like, you have a purpose here. You have a purpose here. All right, Essence. And Amani agreed, but said there's also something else to consider. I think it's a, a matter of just allowing the kids to figure out what makes them happy. I think as children, you focus on what makes your parents happy, what makes your teachers happy, what makes the adults in your life happy, because you follow orders. Um, But when you grow up, you kind of like are late to find your sense of individualism. So our jobs are helping the kids find individualism now and what that looks like with them. Most of the time, who are these kids? Describe these kids. They're inner city youth. They're, uh, They're kids from hoods. They're kids from boroughs. They're kids that live in the worst neighborhoods. Um, they're kids that could possibly live in, like, good neighborhoods of the city, and they all have the same experiences. Ooh, what does that say about Philly? What does that say about the boroughs, right? What does that say about us? I think growing up in Philly is a unique experience, um, and you have to be from here to understand what it really means, but it's not easy for a kid to grow up in the city. 
and there's so many like external struggles that children face, um, so many different directions that they could be pulled in. Um, and I think that what's unique about peer to you is that we'll take the peer specialist model, but also combine it with like an evidence-based program and using those two components, um, really be able to service kids and help them um, just have brighter futures and just another option for their future. Options. Options. If you're going to give a kid anything, you're going to teach him how to be flexible. You're going to teach him how to be uh, aware in the moment, aware of who they are, what they are, defining things as you go. And how do you implement what she just said into the day? Uh, well, I was one of those kids, so I would pretty much just show them that, you know, by, lead by example and just let them know that anything is possible. Like, you, just because you're going through something today doesn't mean that it won't get better tomorrow. The light at the end of the tunnel. Snap, snap, exactly. <laughs> and finally, we meet Javier Alvarado, who says his team is essential to reaching the hearts of youth in all of these communities. And how I do my best work are these folks here. Wow. Um, just an amazing group, just so motivated and and really want to uh, do the best by our community. So every time I, I sit down with them, I'm just so amazed and awed by their words and how they feel and, and their intention um, and their motivation to help the kids of this city. So, uh, so we are uh, a, a social uh, service agency, nonprofit. A bulk of our services revolve around mental health services, so individual family counseling. We do a lot of... Uh, intensive work in families, in the schools. We have a truancy program, a housing program, a uh, Healthy Start program, the peer to you program, which is a gun violence prevention program. Mm -hmm. So a host of services, and uh, we are located here in West Philadelphia. We have an office in South Philly, and we have an office in Northeast Philadelphia. And the organization is set to grow. Across the street, they have a new facility that should be up and running within the next year. Um, so six peer specialists, yes. you need 36. So yes. we're talking about the future vision. This is going to be a big boat. That is our intent, yeah. Okay. I think the catalyst for this will be the work that they do and the impact that they make. And the group agreed that Amani would get the last word on the organization's future, what it could be. Mm, touch as many people as we can for, as far as case management and just um, see if we can turn some of those barriers around. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter, at Bridging Philly, at Raquel on Air, and at Shara Day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For Shara Day Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. Be well.